Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. First things first, good morning, Christ Community Church. All right, much better. All right. So uh, before we get going, just a few housekeeping items. One, I do hope that you're grabbing a bulletin, taking it home, going over the prayer list every single day. We've had some folks just have really been through it. Uh, D. Penix has just been in and out of the hospital and um, fluid and, and heart problems and just all kinds of things. And then Jason Hoskins also, I've been texting him, and he's, he's going to chemo and so forth. And so it's just a lot of folks you need to be praying for. That's one. Two. Um, this, what we've got going this summer is going to be a bit different. Now, today, and if you want to go ahead and go there, we're going to start in Ephesians 4.17. Ephesians 4.17. So if you want to open your Bible there, your Bible app, or whatever it is, that's where we're going to start, and we'll get to about 5.20. Then we're going to have to take a break from Ephesians in order to kind of clean up and do the stuff we need to do this summer. So, um, as you all know, the second week in July, Patrick and Eddie are headed back to Uganda to plant their church. Um, now, um, Eddie is gone this morning. He's actually at a conference in, in Dallas about missions, and so that's where he's at. But we wanted to give them a chance to preach again, preach a farewell sermon. So, Patrick will be preaching next week. Eddie will be preaching the week after that. And then... On the weekend of, I believe it's the 26th, 27th, if I'm remembering correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, here in June, we're not going to have a Saturday night service. For those of you who sometimes sneak in on Saturday night, we're not going to have a Saturday night service because that Sunday morning we want the whole church to come together for Eddie and Patrick's ordination service. And we've got people coming from all over, uh, from Florida and Virginia and all kinds of people coming in, uh, one of their foreign professors and so forth, all coming in for that ordination service. And so that's where we're going through June, so you know. Also, you may have noticed a little bit of construction here and there, yet we're doing a lot of work on the building. Uh, here over the next year, we're going to replace the floors in the student center. We're going to be replacing a couple air conditioners. That's why it gets a little warm in here when it's so hot and humid, uh, because there's a couple of them that just are 20-some years old and they're not working anymore. And to do that, I don't know if you, if you think about how this is laid out, we have to bring in a crane to lift those units out and then put new ones in. It's pretty labor intensive. So, you know, we've got all kinds of things going on. So kind of, you know, excuse our mess, you know, over the summer and stuff as we try to uh, get this place into shape. We, we redid the entire sprinkler system and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so that's where we're going. Now, why in the world did I show you a 10-year-old video of a guy in London on a bicycle. Okay. Do anybody here, does anybody here think that that guy kicked his training wheels off and just took off and was able to do that? How many hours do you think he worked to pull that off? Years, yeah. Most experts say that it takes a, a, a minimum of about 10,000 hours to get to that level. That's what it takes. It takes 10,000 hours at least 
of practicing those tricks, probably breaking bones, falling down, getting run off, people mad that you're, you know, doing all that stuff in their property, all that stuff, all for a four-minute YouTube video. You see where I'm going with this? How many hours do you spend cultivating your relationship with God through Christ? Not for a four-minute YouTube video, which is impressive. I like that video. It's fun. But for eternity. And see, it's not just, okay, I'm going to wake up, you know, Monday morning. I'm going to make a note to myself. I'm going to put a little thing on my phone. It's going to pop up and say, hey, dummy, pray, read your Bible. Uh, It's not going to cut it. Um, years ago, when I was working with nonprofits across the country, I had to read a lot of leadership stuff. And leadership experts will tell you that the most important thing you can do, in fact, Jack Welch, when he built GE up in the 90s to be just the behemoth that it was at that time, they asked him, said, what, how do you spend most of your day? He said, I spend 80% of my day teaching habits productive habits. And you can probably see where I'm going with this. Scripture, prayer, giving to others, worship, is not something you should put on your to-do list. It should become a habit. A habit. Something you're just committed to so that your relationship with God and your service to Jesus Christ is at least as impressive as some British guy on a bicycle. See what I'm saying? And it takes that long. And see, what we're dealing with here in Ephesians 4 and 5 is Paul is talking about a mindset, an attitude. It's going to sound at times like he's just talking about things to do and not to do. That's not what he's doing. I mean, if you tell your kid, don't stick your finger in a power outlet, On the one hand, you're telling him, don't stick your finger in a power outlet. On the other hand, what you're really telling him is also, there are things you can touch or play with that will hurt you. And so you need to be careful. So sometimes the do's and don'ts add up more than just to do's and don'ts, but a mindset. Let's take a look and see what Paul has said. Remember, he's writing from prison. 4.17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer, just as the Gentiles also walk, or non-Jews or non-people of God, in the futility of their mind. What's that mean? Their thinking goes nowhere. It's a waste of time. A futile effort is an effort that's a waste of time. Saying their thinking is a waste of time. Why? Because if they're not focused on Jesus Christ, they're not focused on the gospel, they're not focused on worshiping the one true God. In the end... What good is their thinking done? Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their heart. Notice that, 418. Ignorance and attitude. Ignorance and attitude can wreck you quickly. And they have become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality, in other words, sexuality, for the practice of every kind of impurity and greediness. 
But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as, as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness or right standing with God, and holiness of the truth. And we're going to talk about how to work to that new self. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speaking truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. In other words, we're all children of God, but, but we're not. There's a difference between being the children who sit at the dinner table and those who don't, the saved and the unsaved. What is he saying? Speak truth to your neighbors. What's he saying? Share the gospel with them. Let them know what life is really about. It's about serving and preparing ourselves to be with Jesus Christ for all eternity. Now look at what he does here. He says, he says, evangelize. He says, be angry. Notice that. Be angry and yet do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. I, I, I have heard this my entire life. Sometimes I will see a Christian, well-meaning, I'm sure, post something on social media. And somebody inevitably will respond. You call yourself a Christian, that's not nice. Folks, I am all for being gracious and loving. But the Bible does not define a Christian as being nice. Paul says, be angry. What are you angry at? If you're sitting there and you see, as, what, as it happened in Chicago this week, where a gang member shot down a teenage girl in the back of the head, and if that doesn't make you angry, there's something wrong with you. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not give the devil a foothold. In other words, don't carry it over to will it, where it darkens your soul. But when you see injustice and you see the things that Satan is doing in this world, be angry. I said this before. I had a friend who unfortunately died during the pandemic. He lived down in uh, North Carolina. But he was one of those guys. And I used to tell him, Mike, 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 the stuff you put on social media. Because he loved to kind of poke the bear with non-Christians, with atheists, you know. And he put something about, you know, his belief, and some atheist responded, you know, and said, you know, well, goodness sakes, you call yourself a Christian, but you're not being very, you know, polite, and you're not being this, and you're not being, in other words, you're not being very nice. And he said, you're right. And the person actually said, Jesus would never say anything like that. He said, that's right. If he did, they may have crucified him. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must work, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Notice that. Paul is saying, work. Work hard. But why do you work hard? So you'll have extra to give to those who are in need. John Wesley picked up on this. John Wesley said, work as hard as you can, make as much as you can, save as much as you can, give away as much as you can. There's nothing wrong with Christians working and making money, but the Bible does say that if you, especially if you see a brother and sister in need, you help, and you put yourself in a financial position so that you can help. 
Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Now, is he saying there, because I have heard this, is Paul saying there, do not ever use profanity. If you stub your toe and you let one fly, you have sinned grievously. That's not what Paul is talking about. That's not what Paul is talking about. Now, I'm not advising you to go ahead and just go crazy, but I'm, what I'm saying is that's not what he's talking about. He's saying, do not let anything unhelpful so that you may help, you may edify, you may build up. In other words, what's he saying? Don't be a critical jerk. Have you met those people? You, you can do no right. They, they have to correct everything. Well, if I would have done it, you know, all that kind of stuff. I've seen people do this at funerals. Somebody crying, and they come up and try to tell them how to do something? Ugh, drives me crazy. Absolutely drives me crazy. You know what you do at a funeral, folks? You cry with them, you hug them, and you shut your mouth. I've told this before. I remember being at a funeral once. Some well-meaning person walked up to the widow and said, well, he's gone, but that's, that's God's will. And I felt like going up and smacking him across the face. I guess, well, I guess that was God's will too, wasn't it? Build up. Don't tear down. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. It's bad talking about, don't talk badly about people all the time. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Do you see how he builds up to that? He's saying you work, you don't steal, you don't tear people down with your words, you help other people out, you be forgiving, why? Because Christ has done that for you. You have received grace. Now it is your turn to dispense grace to everyone. That includes your spouses, your children. It does not necessarily include my wife's puppy. It's not made in the image and likeness of Christ. But anyway, he and I had it out this morning. I'm working on it, Gary. Um, <laughs> Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Do you know one of the reasons why Father sent the Son to earth? Not just to live a perfect life, but to show us how to live a good and holy life in the flesh. And walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you. It's improper among God's people. And there must be no filthy or silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. What's he saying there? He's saying there because you need to understand, I know that if you've watched movies about any time from the 1900s back thousands of years, especially movies set in Greece or Rome, first of all, for some reason, they're Greeks and Romans, and they always have English accents. 
That doesn't make any sense. And two, they're always speaking like Shakespeare, though Shakespeare lived 1,500 years later. That doesn't make any sense. The simple fact is, if you understood Greek and Latin, it was not uncommon for you to be walking your kids down the street, and the, the people talking everywhere was the equivalent of a Richard Pryor concert circa 1976. There was just a lot of it, and it was just accepted. And Paul's saying, when you gather together as a church, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Take this seriously. For you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous person, that's a person who all wants stuff, who is an idolater that worships a false god, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one trick you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God has become, this, become on the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not do it, don't, don't do it with them. You were formerly in darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. This is 2,000 years, this is still to the church. You are the light of the Lord. You want guidance on how to act with your family and in public. You are the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the product of light consists in all goodness and rightness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Notice that. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. How do you do that? Scripture and prayer. And sometimes correction. Now, going back, sometimes you do have to call people out. Megan has discipled all kinds of women over the years, and the one thing she hates to do is take them out to coffee and say, stop it. Whatever you're doing, that you're doing, stop that. She hates to do that. And she should. Anybody who delights in doing that is a jerk. And it goes back to that don't tear people down. Sometimes you do have to say, look, knock this up. Let's think about an alternative here. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of these things which are done by them in secret. And it is. I can't give you, you know, if I, if I gave you, really gave you what went on in Roman temples, in Greek and Roman temples, and at the, in the dinners of the so-called mystery religions, which were everywhere, um, it would be X-rated. It was pretty nasty. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, awake, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as an unwise person, but as a wise person, making the most of your time because the days are evil. And if you don't believe that the days we're living in are evil, You're smarter than I am, and you shut off the news. So then do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine. Okay. I I trust you all, but let me footnote this real quick. Um, And for those of you watching. What he is saying there is this. In the first century... They did communion differently than we do it. They had a meal together. You had house churches, and they would sit down, and they would have a full meal together, and that's how they celebrated the Lord's Supper. Now, 
you would have been absolutely foolish to have drunk the water. The water was filthy. They didn't understand about bacteria. They didn't understand. Here's what they understood. When I drink the water, I get sick. When I drink wine, I don't get sick. So they drink wine. And believe it or not, what Paul is saying, because he's speaking to the church gathered together, and he's saying, when you get together for communion, don't get drunk. And you're probably sitting there going, they got drunk at communion? Go read Corinthians. Yes, they did. It's not good when the preacher's slurring his word. For that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Worship, in other words. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Be subject to one another. Serve one another. Do you see the mindset that Paul is trying to cast here? In other words, what has he covered? He's covered just about the entire gamut of a worship service and life together as Christians, and he's saying, be like Jesus Christ. Have that mindset. And then once the mindset comes, develop the habits that come from it. If we're to be imitators of Christ, ask yourself, how much do you pray? If Christ is our example, go back, read through the Gospels. Pick a Gospel day, read through it. Luke and Matthew will take you a little bit of time. Mark's pretty quick. And notice how often they go looking for Jesus. The disciples are always looking. Jesus just disappears. And they're, where is he? Inevitably, where is he? He's almost always off praying somewhere. And sometimes Jesus Christ, the Son of God, prayed all night long. How's your prayer life? But to get to that mindset, to develop those habits to where praise and prayer and, and scripture and, and, and worship become habits. You have to develop the mindset first. How does the mindset come about? Here's the problem. Okay. Um, as many of you know, I've been working on a, on a PhD. I'm a little overwhelmed right now because it took me four weeks going back and forth with my New Testament theology professor to pick a topic for a paper, and now I've got four less weeks to work on that paper. And I'm writing about a long-dead theologian. He died in 1976, controversial theologian, by the name of Rudolf Bultmann. Don't go to sleep yet. Stick with me. Now, Bultmann was wrong on just about everything. And he took one thing that was true. He did find one thing that was true, and unfortunately tried to make it everything, when in fact, it's not everything but it is a necessary component in your walk with Jesus Christ. Here it is. Rudolf Bultmann was friends with a philosopher, very good friends, and the philosopher wrote a book called Being in Time, in which he argued basically this. It's like this thick, and he repeats himself over and over again. Don't rush out to buy it. I'm about to give it to you in 30 seconds. It's all you need to know. Heidegger said, we exist. Duh. But we know we're going to die. But what do we do in between that knowledge that we exist and we're going to die? 
we try to distract ourselves from it as much as we can. We try to amuse ourselves as much as we can, to entertain ourselves as much as we can. And Heidegger argued, and Boltman followed suit, and said that, shame on you, knock it off, face the music, face the fact that you are going to die and that you have a short time and you don't know when that's going to happen. And once you have this knowledge, what are you going to do with it? If you know you're going to die and you have a short time, what are you going to do with that short time? It's interesting. Heidegger argues this, and I looked it up. There's some debate over it, but he may be right. Do you know where the word amuse comes from? Amuse, amuse yourself. Amuse meant park, amuse. The root of the word amuse, muse means to think, ah means don't. Amuse means not thinking. How much of our entertainment, how many hours a week do we spend Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus? Can anybody keep up with all the streaming services, by the way? Now there's Paramount Plus, CBS All Access, over on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Apple TV. It's coming like cable. <laughs> and we spend hours upon hours upon hours and hours watching stuff. And let's face it, the stuff we binge falls into that category of ah muse. I hope you enjoyed the Friends reunion, but I guarantee you it did not intellectually stimulate you. I guarantee you that when you clicked off those six overpaid clowns, you did not go, hmm. Jennifer Aniston raises a good point. What am I doing with my life? What is the essence of friendship? No, you didn't. You clicked it off with, that was awesome. And that's it. Why? You were amused, not thinking. Now, I would argue with Boltman and Heidegger that every once in a while, you do need to give your brain a break. So it's, that's okay. I have found that I have to because my wife's puppy wakes me up at 4.30 in the morning. And so somewhere about 6.37 in the evening, this thing don't work so good because I'm tired. You see me preaching last night, I was exhausted. Because, you know, I'm, I'm 49, not to get too graphic, but I'm 49, so I can't stay in bed all night if you get my drift. I got to make at least one trip to the potty. Now, I don't know when this time is going to come, but my wife's puppy thinks, it's time to get up. It's 2.30, dummy. No, it's not. I lose. I'm tired. And so if it's 6.37, I'm sitting there eating dinner with my wife. My brain's not working so good. And my wife, because she's intellectually curious, is like, what did you read today? And the best I can do at about 7 o'clock, having been up since about 3.34, is stuff. What kind of stuff? Uh-huh. <laughs> she's trying. 
She sleeps right through it. I can't. So your brain does need a break. But the problem is this. It's like in our culture, all of us are on a perpetual break, a constant break. Because if we're not binging something on TV, we're staring at this thing. And I guarantee you that if I got a, you know, a summary email or text saying how much time you spent on this thing, do you get one of those? I get a report every week telling me how many hours I have spent on this. And I guarantee you, if I were able to look out your phone's history, some game is outdoing your Bible app by about four to one. And I'm being generous. Am I wrong? Bultmann was not completely wrong. And he's got text to back it up. What does Jesus say? Storing your grain for that? Fool, the Lord's going to take your life this very night. What's the point when he talks about the master coming at any time? The point is he could return at any time, and then it's judgment day. If you're like me and you're sitting around going, yeah, i got to go talk to my neighbor. I don't know where my neighbor is spiritually. I need to go talk to my neighbor. I'll do that tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes and goes. I say, ah, well, tomorrow. And what the Bible teaches is you don't know if tomorrow is going to come or not. How much time are we amusing, and how much time are we as saved people serving? And if I were to ask you honestly what the percentage of that should be, what do you think? And I'm not saying it's easy, because the number one thing you got to get over is yourself. It's a fight with itself. I start talking about death, the baby cries. Way to go, Matt. Anyway. You're fighting yourself. I'm fighting myself. I want to be amused, especially after three hours of reading a long, dead German theologian. I want to be amused. The problem is, and how many of you have done this? I'll just take a break. And that 20 minutes turns into 40, 60, 80. So where does that leave us? How do you get there? Well, you do have to keep that in mind. You don't know when you're going to go. We delude ourselves into thinking we're in pretty good shape. And maybe you are. And I, you know, the pandemic and injury caused me to get out of shape. I'm trying to get back in shape, trying to get time to go back to the, now that I can go back to the gym and all other kind of stuff. And I'm, 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 can't wait to do that. I like working out. I like going to the gym. 
Megan and I made a pact. We're gonna, tomorrow we're going to start eating better. We start buying all these vegetables and all that kind of stuff, doing all the things we need to do to get, you know, eat right and get to the gym an hour a day and do all that kind of stuff. And all that is great. And, but the simple fact is this. If you eat right, if you work out even three to six times a week, one day, you will get very sick and die. You may push that date back, but it's coming. And so I know it sounds morbid, but I think Boltman and Heidegger were onto something when they said, you know, you got to remind yourself, you really, in the grand scheme of things, don't really have that much time. And from the perspective of eternity, you've been given a lot. So how do you get there? Well, you need to remind yourself of that. You don't know when the Lord will come. You need to preach the gospel to yourself that Jesus Christ died in your place for your sins. So that if you come to faith in him, you are forgiven. You receive a new existence. You receive a new life. You receive his life to be judged by. That's what Paul means when he keeps saying, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. That's all good news. And with that knowledge that you don't have forever, and you've been forgiven so much... Hopefully that breaks your heart and moves you to gratitude. But maybe it doesn't. We can be stubborn. Okay, let me amend that. I can be stubborn. And it's tough. And it really, at the end of the day, comes down to what do you value most? I've said before, if you show me your checkbook, your bank account, I'll tell you who your God is. But the simple fact is, if you keep track of your time, that will tell you a lot as well. And it's a matter of importance. How important is it to you? I was reading this week about a missionary family in China. This was back after the communist revolution when Mao came to power, and there was a lot of people scrambling to get out of China because Mao had been very clear that he was going to kill the Christians, kill the ministers, or imprison them at the very least. And so this missionary family, mother, father, two kids finally get permission from the army to get on a ship headed to the Philippines and from there to find a ship to get back to America. So mother, father, two kids walk down to the dock. They find the ship. Soldier standing there says, well, hold on. The ship has a weight limit. You can only bring 200 pounds with you. They've got boxes and boxes of stuff. They've been there for years. They've got clocks. They've got pictures. They've got books. They've got, you name it, they've got musical instruments. They've got everything you would need for a church. They've got, it's like, oh, 200 pounds. We can't. And so they go through the stuff, and they start sorting through it, and you know, they uh, trumpet's got to go. Violin's got to go. This has got to go. This scrapbook's, I'm sorry, this has got to go. And they start weeding through it. And so then they're like, okay, we think this is 200 pounds. And they start to walk on board. And they said, wait a minute. The soldier goes, that includes the children. 
How important is that stuff at that moment? You just toss it, right? And you don't think twice. How important is this stuff? Compared to your God sending his son to die in your place, in my place, for our treason. What's more important? Mindset, priority, habits. That's how you grow. That's how we grow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Though it may sting, it certainly stings me. We thank you for your grace for your love, sending your Son and your Spirit, your Son to die for us, to live for us, your Spirit to dwell within us, to urge us, to help us. May everyone here remember that their days on this earth are short and that you have given us as a free gift eternity May the Spirit spark love and gratitude so that we share your gospel and that every single day we continue to develop habits. We may not have 10,000 hours to hone whatever gifts you've given to us. We don't know how much time we have, but may we commit ourselves as if we did. Studying your word, fervently, praying to you constantly, worshiping you all the time, and loving you and each other, and putting ourselves second. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now, I want you to note the time. That's right, not all of us keep you over. Now, be praying, though, Mom and Dad, um, they're um, on vacation. They have a timeshare. Mom looks forward to it. Dad dreads it with every ounce of his being. Um, but they'll be, they'll be gone for a week. Patrick will be preaching next week, so you definitely want to be here. Now, before I let you go, you guys, I need your help. We have to clean, uh, get the chairs. No, we're not. Come on here. You've, you've told me three different instructions, and Dad probably gave you four different ones, but just come on up here. That way you say it, I don't get in trouble, you do. Come on. All right, so we're going to, we're getting ready for the big ordination service, and so we're trying to get a lot done in a short period of time. We won't be able to do everything. It's going to take about a year, but we are going to try to get as much done as we can, and we're going to clean some of the carpets. The white? The blue is what we're cleaning. The blue. Everything. Okay, so everything on the blue has to be moved to the white? Yes, because there's Paul painting the blue carpet. There's not much on the blue, babe, but okay. <laughs> hey, hey. Oh, don't even. At 4.30, Patty, it ain't cute. All right, so. <laughs> All right, if you could, anything on the blue, I guess this is the white chairs over there, I guess, and the, the chairs and the side stuff, we need to move on to the white so they can clean the blue. I guess. So 
anyway, that's what we're going to do. If you can help with that, and your kids, if you've got kids back in the ministry, they may have to take another four or five minutes, so go grab another donut or whatever. God bless you. God goes with you. Lord willing, see you next time. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.